Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Setup Men with uh, myself, Robert Pike, uh, Jeff Johnson, and Patrick Despain of WFA.com. Guys, I wanted to start off tonight just kind of getting a general idea of where you guys feel the Rangers are, uh, you know, with the roster as of today. You know, there were a lot of tweets today about, you know, over under 78 wins. Uh, I think there were a bunch of odds that came out today, I think, on Bovada that had the uh, the Rangers and the Astros with the same World Series odds. Where do you guys feel, just in the general sense, uh, the Rangers stand today? Personally, I think they're like an 82-win team with uh, with Holland and Darvish uh, at the top of the rotation. So I, th- I think they're they're 20 they're a they're a plus 20 uh, over 500 team for me. It could it could go south of that with somebody having like Chu or, or Fielder having just a complete down year um, again. But I, I don't think that'll happen, and it could go above that. Uh, with Leonis having another year like he had Elvis, I still think he's going to have a career year. So, so I put it at 82 um, with the hope that, that maybe it turns into 86, 87. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think, you know, I think 82 to 88, somewhere around there. I, I don't think it's uh, always, I always think it's wrong to say that it can't get any worse than 2014 because it can always get worse. Um, But at the same time, I don't anticipate it to be worse. I, I think, I think we're looking at a you know a healthier Prince Builder. Um, I think our pitching staff hopefully will stay healthier, and you know that's going to help. Um, like you just said, Elvis and Leonis. If everyone can just, they don't necessarily have to improve fifty percent, sixty percent from what they did last year. If they can just not, if we can just stay healthy, I think we're looking at eighty-two to eighty-eight wins. The problem <laughs> is the AOS has gotten a little better, I think, and so <laughs> yeah, yes, <it> has. <laughs> and so. 82 to 88 may not be enough, but um, I'm anticipating an uptick from last year, and hopefully we have reason to really watch this team and some playoff aspirations when August rolls around this year. Outside of just just health, what in you guys' mind has to happen in 2015 for this to become a 85-plus win team? I know, I know that, it, in my opinion, I think that uh, just like everybody else probably thinks that, that Fielder and, and Chu are are uh, are uh, paramount to to the Rangers' success in '15, but I also look at Elvis, like you said, Patrick. Um, you know, I, we all look at injuries and and the uh, the age curve, um, but the the odds that Elvis has a year worse than his 2014, I think, are extremely low. Um, especially with what's coming out of the organization um, in terms of how they feel about how he's prepared uh, this offseason, losing weight, trying to get back to uh, what, what really made him successful before. But I want to hear you guys' thoughts on what are the one or two things or, or guys that you, you guys think that this hinges on? Uh, for me, for me, Ryan Rua has to clearly win left field or Smolenski or whoever that's going to be. I, I think it's going to be Rua. The kid has has proved everybody wrong at every level, and I and I think he's going to do it here with plenty of at bats. The other the other person for me is Gallardo. 
you know, he was the opening day number one pitcher in Milwaukee, and he's coming in here and he's going to be the three, but he needs to pitch like a two. Uh, and and that would really put a give a boost if if Holland and, and Darvish are are Holland and Darvish, and then with Colby and Detweiler or Tepish, whoever's going to be the fifth, um, that takes a lot a lot of pressure off those guys um, having to uh, you know to try to win games after Gallardo gets you know hammered or or anything like that. So I think Gallardo and Rua for me would be the the two um, outside of the uh, of what everybody else thinks. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Patrick, but, you know, for the sake of good good talk, I, I don't want to agree with you because it's boring to listen to everybody agree. It obviously has to be pitching. Gallardo has to be better, has to bring, you know, he's going to bring something that uh, this team didn't have last year, and that was, you know, some depth on the mound once the injuries happened. If, if Darvish, Holland, and Gallardo are good, this is a good team. But I think the real key, and it sounds kind of obvious, but, Something that I saw last year that just kind of made me uh, appreciate even more of the good years here, Prince Fielder. I mean, they had no, they have, they have to have a threat in the middle of their lineup to to turn the ball around and send, you know, drive in runs, a threat of the long ball, someone that they have to kind of pitch around. I think he sets everything else, everything in this lineup with goes through Prince Fielder. I don't know, if I said that wrong, but this lineup has to revolve around Prince and. And obviously, I don't care about the money. I know people get hung up on financial. You know, that's not my money. They're spending it how they want. If it's good contract, bad contract, you know, that's a whole other discussion. But for the guys that are actually on the field, um, if Prince has a bad year, then I think it just – your pitchers better be really good. Uh, you, you guys both touched on the on the front end of the rotation. I, you know, obviously, you've got Darvish that sets the table. If he's healthy – He's an ace. He's a perennial Cy Young candidate. You've got Holland, whose ERA is, uh, I think, under under 3.20 uh, in his last, like, 250 innings when he's healthy. Then you've got Gallardo, who's probably slated to be the Brewers' uh, opening day starter. Um, he's clearly had some success in the past. How do you guys feel, though, about the back end of the rotation? Uh, do, do we feel like there's more depth there now? And it, at least in my opinion, I know that I feel like Chi-Chi Gonzalez is going to get a shot at, at, at some point in 2015. It, it really just sounds to me like, especially the things that are coming out of the organization, it sounds like they're going to give him every opportunity to do that, even maybe out of camp. Um, how do you guys feel about the back end? Well, for me, it's Colby and then another guy. And I've seen enough of Nick Tepish to know that that is what Nick, Nick Tepish is. I, I, I root for the kid. I want him to improve. But he doesn't have that. He's got the slider that can be a wipeout pitch, but he's not, he's not consistent with it. And I'm with you, Robert. They're going to give, they're going to give Chi Chi every chance to make the club. And I wouldn't count the kid out. Um, but you do have Detweiler as a, as another lefty option. Um, if he, if he pitches well, and then you also have Nick Martinez who is very similar to Nick Tepish, but I think he's got a little bit better stuff, but I'm telling you, Chi Chi Gonzalez, he, he just might make this team. And if you can have Darvish, Holland, and Gallardo pitch well, Colby just be Colby, then you can afford to have a rookie as your five. Yeah, and you don't. And we've said it many times over the years. You don't have to have a stud in the five spot. You just have someone that can eat up some innings, keep you in the game. I'd like to think what I keep leaning on when I think of the back end of the rotation is I'm with you. I think Colby Lewis is there. Um, I want to think that last year's. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, injury plague 2014 is going to pay some dividends this year with those guys that they've got the experience. They've they've been on you know they've been on the in the on the big stage. They they've been there, done that, so to speak. And I and I've got to think. Um, since we are looking for a four and a five, we're not looking, you know, if, if we were needing them to continue what they were doing last year and be the top end of the rotation, uh, absolutely not. But to fill that five, you know, that fifth spot in the rotation, I've got to hope that that experience for Tepish, you know, hopefully hopefully will pay off. And I, and that's kind of what I'm looking to see is how how he rebounds from last year. And I'm, I'm really excited to see Nick Tepish, not only this spring, but as the season starts. I, I'll agree on Tepish. I, I, I like his slider. Um, at, at times, he kind of seems like a uh, – almost like a poor man's Colby Lewis, just sort of with his pitching style. Every once in a while, can kind of remind me of that. But um, and, and, and sorry, what, Robert, but you know another thing we do, we often do this, is we like to bail on guys if they're not good right away. It's, it's kind of human nature. We give, them, we give them a season or two, and, and yeah, the, the lifespan of a pitcher uh, with injuries and, with, and whatnot may not be – you know, it's not running back in the NFL – for, by any means, they have a they can have a pretty good career and a long career, and sometimes it just takes a few years to kind of figure it all out. and And when the stuff is there, and like you said, Patrick, the stuff is there with Tepish. You never know when it's all going to just kind of click, and that it's gonna it's gonna come together. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I. No, that's okay. We, um, okay, now we've covered those guys. One guy that that the Rangers brought in uh, this off season. Um, in a trade giving up, uh, I believe it was Chris Bostic and uh, Abel de la San- uh, Santos, uh, is, is Ross Detweiler. Uh, I think you both kind of mentioned him as, as a back-end candidate. Do you guys feel like the, the question as to whether he starts or winds up in the bullpen may also hinge on whether or not they find another left-handed reliever, or do you think that he'll have a legitimate shot to make it out of camp even if they don't find another left-handed reliever out of the pen? I think they're going to give everybody an opportunity to, to fill that fifth spot. And it's, and it's up to Ross to make the team um, as a starter, but I don't think it hinges on them finding a lefty reliever. I think if he's good enough to start, he'll start and they'll do whatever they can in the bullpen. Um, but if he, if Tepish or, or Martinez or, or Gonzalez makes the team, then you, then you just, that just pushes Detweiler back to your, to your lefty long man, or even a, you know, your loogie and gives you a little bit more stability in the bullpen than they would have, you know, possibly if he, if he was a starter, but you know, and I'll say this, I say it every year. And this is from the wisdom of Mike Reiner himself. The only thing you know about your bullpen in spring training is that you've got a bunch of guys out there. Yeah. That's all you know. Yeah. And you, you, bullpens are so fickle and from year to year, you never know what you're going to get. And, and it goes also on top of that, it, you, you can never have enough pitching. And to, to bring in, you know, a guy like Ross Detweiler and to give him a chance, um, to give him a chance to earn the rota- uh, spot in the rotation, you can't, you're not going to lose anything. You give him a shot. Maybe everything, the way things read when they, when they brought him over, I kind of got the feeling that that was something they had not necessarily promised him, but that was part of the, part of the deal when he'd come over. They said they'd, they'd give him a shot. And, and you know, you want to give him a chance. He's a 6'5". He's a six-five lefty. I mean, he's he's and he's you know he's he's not a top of the rotation guy, but he's a guy that could you know st- statistically help us in the four-five spot. Hopefully, the f- the fifth spot. And if he doesn't get it, you push him out in the bullpen, and, and he has he'll have value there. But I agree. I don't think you 
you force him to be in the bullpen just because you haven't signed that left-handed reliever. You kind of let things play out. Things will, you know, the players will kind of shake themselves out in spring training, and and the results will be there. To and it, it, the decision will be easier than probably easier. It'll be easier in March than it is right now. That's for sure. Okay, we've we've talked about Gallardo and Detweiler. Um, one of the other acquisitions that I know we wanted to talk about was uh, acquiring Car- uh, Carlos Corporan from Houston. Um, now, Patrick, I know that you've got some hot sports opinions on catcher framing and the value of that, and if it, whether or not that might just be a hot topic right now. But with the um, some of the articles that have come out, and I know the Fangraphs did a deal on Gallardo, really pounding the bottom of the zone, really, really benefiting from the uh, catch framers that he had uh, in Milwaukee. Um, how important do you feel that it was to uh, go ahead and fill that bullpen, that, um, I'm sorry, that backup catcher's role um, with a guy like Corporan? Well, for me, I think it's huge. And, and I, liked, I liked the deal to bring him here. Tomas Delis just isn't ready, um, in my opinion. Of course, Alfaro's, you know, a year away at a minimum. So having him here, you know, fairly cheap, not a great right-handed hitter, hits good from the left side. And, and the guy that is good with the pitching staff, uh, you know, he's he's Giovanni Soto type as far as, you know, working the staff and and he's a better framer. And I understand the value of pitch framing. I do. I get it. But I think it's a little overused. And I don't think a catcher makes Nick Tep one single catcher makes Nick Tepish into a Cy Young winner versus what he is um, as an example. So I think we take it a little far. But if you need some you know, if you got a guy that's going to, you know, nibble on the corners, then having a guy like that is beneficial for sure. But uh, I love the move. I, I think he's a great stopgap um, for that backup spot to give Torinos a few days off here and there. And and like I said, he handles the the staff well. So I've I've loved the move. Loved it. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a. I think it was a necessary move. I'm not going to, you know, Carlos Corporan isn't someone that gets my. You know, I'm not overly excited it's not it's not not a flashy fancy sexy move or nothing but it's a it adds some stability in that kit with that catching uh with that catching staff for sure catching staff that sounds weird doesn't it that catching group and uh i i don't want to get into pitch framing i'll go on a rant i just i I, i'll sound i i'm not anti-pitch framing statistics i just think at the big league level you've got um it's it gets overblown a little bit. I'll just say that we can save that conversation for another day. I do think there's a lot there's some value in it. I do recognize that uh, a bad catcher can hurt a pitcher, but I also know that um, the pitcher is not necessarily like you said, Patrick, going to be a 20 game winner versus a 10 game winner because it, there's a catcher that can frame a little better than another one. So I'm I'm excited about having him. I think it provides some depth, and I think he's he's going to be very Giovanni Soto esque, and and hopefully if we don't talk about him a whole lot, that means he's doing his job. Exactly. You know, I, with the with the pitch, with the pitch framing topic, I understand that there's a difference between like Przinsky and Lucroy, but I'm not anything in between there. You're probably splitting hairs at some point, so I, I kind of agree with both of you guys. But I did feel, especially with Chirinos's concussion history, um, that they that they needed to bring in a vet. So that was a deal that I was I was happy to see get get done. Um, you know, I'm I'm with you, Jeff. It doesn't. It doesn't get my baseball pants going crazy or anything, but I thought it was a, um, 
it was a worthwhile move to make, uh, especially with the, I feel like the entire catching position being kind of uh, down right now across the entire league that um, bringing in a guy that is a known quantity was, uh, was going to be something that was, that was important for them. Um, especially with, with Chirinos' uh, history with concussions. So uh, that was something I was, I was happy to see happen. Um, now going around the rest of the league a little bit, I've got Bovada's futures odds pulled up right now, and they've got the Rangers as the 13th team in terms of odds at 22 to one, just to just to win the AL with Houston right behind them at 28 to one. Uh, the Mariners are seven to one, the A's are 12 to one, and the Angels are tied with the Boston Red Sox um, as being the most likely to win at 11 at. Uh, 11 to two odds. How do you guys feel about how the AL West just in general stacks up this year? Well, it's, it's gotten better. You know, you've got Gaddis in Houston now and Nelly Cruz is in Seattle. Um, not sure what Oakland's doing. You know, if they're going to try to, you know, go on another magic carpet ride with a bunch of cast offs, but they let their arguably their best player go in Donaldson. Samarja is gone. Lester's gone. They traded Thespitus last year. So I'm just not sure exactly what the, the plan is out there. So I think their odds may be a little high. I know they've got pitching. But you still have to score, and that's a cavernous ballpark out there. As far as Seattle goes, they're, they're going to be good. They're going to be about the same as they were last year, I think. One thing that to keep keep in mind, when, when guys go to Seattle, their numbers go down offensively. So I don't. you're not going to see Nelly Cruz hit. 40 home runs out there, I don't think. Uh, could be wrong. But Beltre struggled in five years in Seattle. And then came to Texas. And of course, it's a band box compared to Safeco. But I think that's something you need to keep in mind. As far as Houston goes, they're going to be much improved. Still don't like their pitching staff. And some of their younger guys, uh, I'm not sold on. Um, I like Singleton. I like the kid in uh, center. But they, they've got problems at like third base and shortstop's not settled down. So I, I'm just not sure on Houston. I, I think the Rangers I think the Rangers are better than a couple of those teams. Not not better than LA or or Seattle, maybe. But they're I think they're better than Houston and Oakland. No, that's a hot sports opinion for you A's fans. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I don't know what Oakland's doing either, but I, I I hate to doubt. You know, you never you hate you feel like you're you're breaking some sort of baseball rule if you uh if you if you question Billy Bean, but I, I just I'm with you. I, Houston's the one that I just can't get over. You know they brought in Colby Rasmus, uh, they brought in Evan Gaddis. Um, looks like they're trying to add some you know some veteran guys or some guys that can maybe allow them to contend right now. Um, but you said it, Patrick. Their pitching staff is you win with pitching. That's I mean you go back any any team any year you win with pitching. And you're not going to win with Evan Gaddis in left field, Colby Rasmus in center, and as much as I love him because he was a Razorback, is Dallas Keuchel is your number two. I mean, unless he, you know, unless he continues to improve and build on what he did last year, I just Scott Feldman is your ace, Keuchel number two, and then it just kind of becomes a, a who's who after that. And to me, that's that's their recipe for that's that's going to be the recipe for their disaster this year. And I, I just don't see them making a big a big uh, improvement. They may, may may win a few more games. They may be a little better, but I just don't see it with that kind of pitching staff. So, 
that's, you know, I, I do think we're better than Oakland. I think we're better than Houston. Um, the Mariners scare me, and I think the Angels are definitely the team to beat in the AL West. I'll agree there. I, I think the Angels, if um, if Garrett Richards is healthy, are definitely the team to beat. Um, if not, I think that I think that their their starters could be could be pretty uh, vulnerable beyond just him. But um, you guys are right. But when I look at the A's, um, I I don't understand a, a lot of those moves. I don't understand why you rush to sign Billy Butler to a thirty million dollar deal. Um, that that just that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially if you're going to get rid of Donaldson. Um, it just seems like uh, you're moving backwards and forwards at the same time. And um, if you're going to sign Billy Butler to a $30 million deal, you hope that that's like the last piece that you need. And that's the only reason to overpay for him. But uh, just in general, my, my feelings toward Jack Z are, I, I never really understand what that guy's doing. I, I, I feel like he, he signed Nelly Cruz to a deal that he's going to wind up uh, regretting. Um, the Cano deal, I mean, it, as long as they get enough value on the front end, I, I guess it makes sense. But uh, I don't think that he'll be the GM there anymore when they're when they're paying off the back end of that deal. Um, but I, I think for this year, uh, they've got a team that, that looks pretty good to me. I thought that going out and acquiring Seth Smith, who's uh, a guy that you know at a minimum you can you can use in a platoon role, has a lot of power. I mean, I just I feel like there's going to be a lot of power uh, in the AL West when when across the league there's been kind of a power outage and a lot of teams are putting a lot of uh, uh, premium on, on going out and getting power hitters. So with, you know, Seager, uh, Seth Smith, Nelson Cruz, uh, Robinson Cano, I mean, they're going to have, they're going to have a, a, a pretty strong lineup to go with that rotation with uh, Hernandez, Iwakuma, Paxton, if they bring up Walker. Um, I don't know what they were doing when they, when they decided to acquire J.A. Happ, but, like I said, I, I I think that for this year at least, to me, they look like a really good team. But as long as Garrett Richards stays healthy, I do feel like the Angels are still uh, still that team to beat. Um, what uh, there was there was an over under. I think it was out on Twitter today or yesterday. My days are kind of running together. Um, it, it was over under seventy eight wins, and I'm not asking for a gut feeling. I, I I'm asking more of like a as a betting man. Do we all feel like they're like we ought to take the over or it, does your does your heart kind of tell you something different than your mind, and, and you might want to take the under? Uh, both my heart and my brain tell me to take the over. Yeah, I, I take the over. I like I said when we started the show, eighty-two to eighty-eight wins. I think is a safe place. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm in the same. But I, I just I feel like betting that Chu Fielder and Elvis are all going to continue their 2014 production. Um, is a worse bet than than the opposite, and I and I feel like if if you feel like all three of those guys are going to bounce back to some level, um, I feel like you, you you've got to feel pretty good about the season. Now this is a hypothetical I, I threw out on Twitter uh, the other day. In turn, and I, this was really in response to a, a Norm Hitchcock segment where he was uh, I felt like maybe undervaluing Leonis Martin. Um, I love Norm, was, but was he ever? <laughs> he kept kept coming back to calling him a a, a platoon guy. Um, <laughs> if you had to pick one guy right now to accumulate or or, or put these guys in order, who's going to have the highest WAR numbers at the end of 2015? Is it going to be Leonis Martin, Shinsu Chu, or Prince Fielder? Ooh, tough one. Um, 
I, I think it's Prince. Uh, he's still a good hitter. He's got power. You know, defensively, he's going to kill him a little bit as far as a war number goes. Same with Chu. Uh, but I still think Prince is. You know, I, he, his neck's healthy. He looks slimmed down in the in the photos in the uh, the article from uh, Evan Grant last week. So he looks to be in great shape. He's got a – there was a vine of him he posted of or Instagram, whatever it was, benching 405. Hmm. So if you're benching 405, I think you're pretty healthy. Well, and he's also – you know, he's a – and no offense to Leonis Martin or Chu, but, you know, when healthy, when Prince Fielder is right, I mean, he's a possible MVP candidate. He's a – Yeah. I mean, he's a premier player in the league. So ideally you would like a healthy Prince Fielder, Fielder to – not only lead your team in war, but to carry your team at, at certain times throughout the season. And, you know, and the guy that we haven't mentioned, and I, I, I bring this up because just looking back at some stuff that we wrote back in the day, the guy that gets – that everyone loves but kind of gets overlooked because he's just there every year and he does his thing and he's so valuable is, you know, with him and Adrian Beltre. Um, a healthy Prince Fielder with Beltre there protecting him in the lineup – I really think if he he could he could just he could enter the MVP talk again if he if he if he if he stays healthy and that's a big if I know. Well, I'll agree with you there. That the reason why I think Adrian Beltre gets overlooked is just man, has he been the model of consistency since he's been here? Yeah. Um, man, I love that guy. He's easy to take for granted because you know, unlike unlike everybody else, when he's healthy, man, he is who he is. You, you can kind of count on that guy. And uh, they're going to need him to continue to be that rock. But uh, it would be great if, if a guy like Prince could, um, like you said, Jeff, you know, carry carry the team at times, um, you know, and kind of take that load off of of, uh, of Adrian Beltre. And and I now, think and I think sorry, and I think if if you look at those three players we just mentioned, Chu and Martin and um, Prince, I think you can survive the season and still have a nice season. If Martin keeps doing what he's doing, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to improve drastically. If he can be the guy that he has been, make some slight adjustments, make some improvements, we're okay. Chu, I, I think he's he is who he is with his age and the decline is going to be there. But Prince is the one player that if Prince and I said this earlier in the show, if we don't have a good healthy Prince fielder, I think out of those three, he's the one that could adversely affect this team in a, in a negative way more so than Martin or Chu having a bad season. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. Yeah, yeah, the slope on on uh, on Prince is so huge uh, in terms of w- what his production does for the team. I think if I were going to bet on who was going to have the highest WAR at the end of the year out of those three, I think my my betting brain might tell me Leonis, just because um, he's been a three four win player now, um, and I and I don't feel like his uh, skill set is um, even in risk of decline right now, but um, I'd really like for all three of those guys to be right around the same area. You know, like I think if all those guys are three to four win players in 2015, we're looking at a really good team. And you're, and I say that knowing that, you know, Chu and Fielder, their ceiling is, is higher than that. You know, they, those guys could turn in four or five win type, type seasons. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really hope that, that Martin takes that next step. Like JD talked about, uh, the other day, you know, taking it to a whole new level, but I'm with you. I don't think that he has to. I think he's a he's a really really solid player right now. Um, he's not on that Beltre level of like you know what you're going to get. But you know, for me, 
if I'm going to list off the things that I feel really good about on this team, on this roster, you know, he's like, you know, maybe three or four on that list. Um, so, I, you know, I, I feel really, really good about the center field situation. Um, one other interesting um, uh, competition, really, that I think is going to be brewing in camp outside of just left field, and this may be more of a in-season type deal, especially if Odor struggles at all, but how do we feel about where Odor and Profar sit right now? Um, you know, assuming Profar winds up getting healthy and, and performing in AAA, how does this play out? Well, I'm going to take the old JD adage that it almost always works out on its own. Be that a trade, an injury, a uh, guy just gets super duper hot, which Odor could definitely be that guy, but I think Profar could be too. Um, you know, had a little Twitter meltdown one night because, you know, I love Odor like the next guy, but I'm willing to trade the guy if the right deal comes along and we have a health and there's a healthy Profar behind him um, or vice versa. But a lot of people are just so hung up on, on Rugi that, you know, even Jamie Newberg said he wouldn't trade him unless it was the perfect deal. I think that's a little bit much for me, but Jamie's got his reasons for that. And I respect, I respect his opinion on it. I think uh, Odor is got the lower floor, but Profar has got the higher ceiling. And if Profar can, can start to reach that ceiling, which he hasn't approached yet, then we're going to have, then the Rangers are going to have a real issue on their hands. Yeah, and if you look at the uh, three the three infielders, Beltre, Andrews, and Odor, if they're all three healthy and playing playing good baseball, when Profar is ready, there's really I mean, where do you put them? Do you do you sit an Odor that's playing well for a Profar to see if he can do it? I, I mean, obviously, I don't think you do. I, uh, and then at that point, you look at a trade, or do you look at you know late in the summer, maybe giving Beltre some days off and letting Profar Profar take his spot? I I don't know. I just think. It all leads to a point that I've made several times over the years looking at the Kansas City Royals back before they finally made it this last year. Overvaluing your pro- your prospects and holding on to them, you know, for too long or not willing not be willing to to turn some of your high-profile prospects into some into some proven veterans or whatever you can get for them, I think can can be dangerous for an organization and I just hope that um that when the time comes, like you said, Patrick, whether it be Rugi, whether it be Profar, if JD feels that they're not going to have a place to play or that it's time to let him go and get him something for him, uh, I hope he's able to pull the trigger. And, and otherwise, I, I, you'd hate to look back in five years and really have gotten not nothing out of Profar, or he just kind of was buried for three or four years, and then you, when you did finally get to trade him, his value wasn't as high. That's my well, concern the, with him. Yeah, but on the flip side of that, though, Jeff is with valuing prospects, you also don't want to trade for Harold Baines and have your, the guys you gave up turn into Wilson Alvarez and Sammy Sosa. Absolutely. I mean, there's it's I mean, a very fine line. It is. And it's, 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 it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. Sure. But absolutely. also I think it's known around the industry and we've talked, I've seen it a lot on Twitter and read a lot of articles about there are people out there that believe JD overvalues his prospects and he, and granted they're really good players and I, I I'm glad he overvalues them to an extent because we don't just give them away for, you know, we don't have, yeah, we've had a few bad trades. Yeah, he made the Matt Garza deal, and uh, there's some things that you look back and wish maybe he hadn't have done, but but I totally agree. It can go either way, but you you got it. You got, it's, it's obvious that there is definitely a logjam there. Something has to give at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, one thing you, you talked about earlier, 
you know, how soon we forget, you know, a guy has one down a year and, uh, and, and suddenly people kind of write him off. Um, you know, Profar had one, one year, one part of a year, um, in the major leagues where, you know, they even, and, and I, I can't say that I thought that it was a bad idea at the time, but, you know, they even tried him out in the outfield, uh, moving him around the, the diamond, uh, every night where I really don't feel like he ever had a stable situation once he got with the big league club. And I, and I realized that opinions may differ on whether or not that can carry over to your approach at the plate, but that wasn't the same guy that they were expecting, um, from what they had seen, um, you know, the last couple of years uh, in, in his time uh, in double A, I, I just feel like, you know, this is a kid who at 16 came over, did not switch hit. And then what was his one of his first at bat in the major leagues, he's hitting left-handed and he, and he goes yard left-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the kid has unbelievable athleticism. And, you know, it, it, again, it's a guy that he's a switch hitting middle infielder, with some pop, a uh, guy that reached base at a at a high level um, in the minor leagues, you know, former number one prospect. Um, I I really feel like, and and I'll ask you guys for your bold prediction next. But my bold prediction this year is I think Profar will force the issue. I I, I think he's going to find his way into in, into the lineup one way or the other um, if he stays healthy. I just I I think that that's a guy that way too many people have written off. Um, based on this small sample size that they've seen. And, uh, you know, I, I like Odor a whole lot. I, I do. I, I, like the, I like the way that he plays the game. I like, I like his entire approach. Um, I think in a lot of ways, Profar could learn something from the way that uh, Odor uh, sort of uh, attacks every day. But Odor is still a guy that uh, we all seem to be really high on for a guy that didn't reach base at a, at a clip at, you know, it, it was like 294 to end the, to the season. You know, I, I think his, his September was great. I'm, I'm excited about him too, but I do think that Profarm may, may really force that issue uh, at some point this year, if he stays healthy and, uh, and, and he's able to prove that in AAA. Do you guys have any bold predictions for 2015? Uh, when it comes to those two, I really don't. I'm, on this issue, it's a wait and see because I, I do believe it's pro. It's uh, Odor's job to lose. He's like uh, Tepit says; he's a top step guy. He he just plays so darn hard, and everything is 100 percent all the time. And I, and I love the kid. I I, I do. But I think you're right. I think he, that Profar will force the issue. I'm not sure if if it's going to be this year or it'll be the off season the next year, but at some point that's coming. I can see, it's not a prediction, but I can see Profar getting the bats in AAA for half a season and setting the world on fire like he did before. And, and that would force the issue for those guys if Odor was struggling. So it's going to take uh, a combination of both, I think, to, to move Ruggi off second base. But I don't really have an outlandish or bold prediction on that at all. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, just, and, I agree with and that. I, and I kind of mean just in general. So, I mean, if you have a bold prediction about something else, go ahead and throw that out there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> nah, when we get to predictions, maybe. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Patrick and you guys on the Profar deal. It's, I, I think that it's just going to be – I've given up trying to figure it out because it's 
it's been a very weird two or three years for Profar because two or three years ago, you know, Profar was the king of minor league baseball, and we knew he was going to be the next. Uh, and right now, I think there's a lot of un, you know uncertainty there. I just I don't think they're going to rush him. Obviously, they're going to let him kind of get healthy. They're going to kind of feel his way around AAA and get to where he's really you know really ready, truly ready. And then I think it's a case of you find a place for him to play. You find a way to work him in the lineup. And there's a lot of teams that would love to have the Andrew Sodur Profar dilemma. And and unless there's just something that you really need to go out there and get, I'd like to see him try to find a way to work him in if possible. And hopefully it's 2015. If not, I'm okay with 2016 being that year. All right. One, one other competition that I kind of briefly noted earlier. Um, there are about like a dozen guys trying to win the left field DH job right now. Um, mostly the left field job. I, I think it's Ryan Rua's job to lose. Um, and I, 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 I think I got from Patrick at least that, that, that may be your prediction also, but out of those other candidates, the Michael choice, the Ryan Ludwig, uh, Kyle blanks. Um, I feel like they've just brought in somebody else, but they brought in so many guys to, to, um, uh, challenge for that position that, it's almost hard to keep up with, but who do you guys feel like who are the, who are your top two candidates for that left field job? For me, it's Rua and choice. And I do think it's Rua's job to lose. I really think they're going to without, they haven't really said it, but I think that I think it's going to be his job going into spring training and he's going to have to, somebody's going to have to beat him out. And here is a bold prediction. Ryan Rua is going to hit 15 to 18 bombs this year. Hmm. I like it. I, I agree with you. It's Rua choice. Uh, I think those other guys are just brought in for organizational depth and to give a to you know to provide that competition. Um, it's you know he's 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 earned it. He deserves it. Not that that matters, and it doesn't you know earned and deserved uh, means nothing in the in professional sports. But I, I think it's his job, and I and I hope he does well because he's he's easy to root for. He, I, you know, watching him play and just following his his track through the minors, it's it's a kid it's a kid you really want to see win the everyday job. Well, all he's done is hit. Yeah, you know he's he's a uh, he's a guy that he's put up numbers at, at every level. Um, you know, at at times I, he kind of reminded people of uh, of Ian Kinsler a little bit in his stretch to the minor leagues. Just man, he he just flat out comes out and hits. And, and from what it sounds like, I think Patrick may have told me this uh, about JD saying he had some comment at one point. Um, I think in, I, I think in response to like uh, prospect rankings, that type of discussion, him saying, well, you know, we're a little higher on Rua than, than most people are. And, and, and so that, that makes me feel pretty good about um, how they feel about, about him being out in left field and, and really locking down that spot. Uh, another guy that, and, and I don't understand quite this one as much as I do Rua, that the organization seems to really be behind. Uh, Thad Levine was on with Ben and Skin maybe a couple of weeks ago uh, and really went on, uh, uh, not, not, a, not, not a rant, but he went on for a while talking about Mitch Moreland and how, and how they really feel about him as a player, how they, they dealt away Justin Smoke and they dealt away Chris Davis in, in part because that they really had faith in Mitch Moreland. And that you know we haven't seen him healthy in in a long time. For me, he's a guy that I've watched his approach just deteriorate. Um, I really felt like when he first broke in, and and this may be 
I'd have to go back and really look at the numbers, but my gut feeling was that, man, that was, that was a guy that his at bats were competitive at bats. You know, he, he wasn't going up there and just looking silly ever. And, uh, and I feel like uh, whether that's due to injury or, uh, or just ability level, uh, I, I just don't feel like that's the case anymore. But right now you've kind of got him penciled in as your DH this year. What are you guys' expectations for Mitch Moreland in 2015? I, I think the best expectations for me with Mitch Moreland are to have none. And he's – Hey, he, I totally agree with you because I just <laughs> don't know. I don't know what to expect anymore. He – I really like him. I really do. And I've said since the first time I saw him play, you know, I like his swing. I think, you know, the potential is there, yada, 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 all that stuff. But I think at this point he's kind of proven what he is, who he is. Um, and, you know, he's – I think he becomes more of a role player, a bench player um, on, a, on a better team maybe. You know, a 2011 team right now, he's, he's coming off the bench, obviously. I would – I'd be okay with someone winning that job, but at the same time, Mitch Moreland as your DH isn't a terrible option. And and when he's good, he's good. But like I said, I, I my expectations are pretty low, so he will he will easily exceed them if he if he has a decent year. Well, I you know I agree too. And Robert, you were right on. He, his at bats were they were competitive. The 2010 game three home run came on like the ninth or tenth pitch in that at bat, and maybe it's just recency bias because he has been injured and. And some at bats haven't looked very good, but you know, if we can get Mitch back to taking and seeing just tons and tons and tons of pitches like he used to, then I, I think think good things could happen. I'm just not sure they will. Don't know what to, I don't know what to expect from him. Yeah, I, I I feel like DH is a big question mark, and and like Jeff said, I I like Mitch Moreland's swing too. I think that that dude could have tremendous power if he really reached his ceiling. If he if he came out. And, and fulfilled his potential, that dude would be hitting absolute bombs to right field. But we just haven't seen that. And, and I think lefties have just made him look absolutely silly over the last couple of years in particular. So um, in, in terms of holes to fill, I feel like this offseason, part of the reason why you haven't seen the Rangers really invest in um, a, a, a big, you know, a, a, a high salary type player is because they, they want to come into camp. They want to see the first part of the season. And, you know, this thing could go one of two ways. Obviously, we all feel like, you know, if Chu and Fielder are healthy and Andrews bounces back, you know, that this thing could really be uh, a, a team that competes for the, for the AL West. But if it doesn't, uh, I can see a situation where you, you start selectively selling off parts. But do you guys feel like, the payroll limitations and whatnot would keep the Rangers from making a big move at the deadline. If they are being competitive, could they go out and get Cole Hamels? What is your guys gut feeling as far as where the front office stands right now in terms of making a move like that in July? I, I think they would be flexible enough to go do something if they think they had a real legitimate shot, um, you know, adding a payroll like that. The one thing, the one thing about the payroll is, you know, next next year's unknown. But you do you are on the hook for like sixteen million bucks or whatever, Beltray's going to get if his if he vests this year, which is six hundred. He needs six hundred bats to vest the the final year of the contract. Um. 
So you know, with that being out there, not knowing what you're going to do with Adrian, that, that may, that may, uh, you know, make them think a little bit before they go pull, pull a trigger on anything. But I think if, you know, they're comfortable with, with Adrian another year, which I am. And, you know, you got Prince and Chu and, and these, and these contracts, I, I think with a run and a chance to, to win, to get in the playoffs that the ticket sales and the merchandise and the beer and the food and all that stuff would, would eventually offset the cost of Cole Hamels or, or whoever else was out there. Yeah, and I think this ownership group's proven that if it's there, if there's a chance, they'll do what they have to do financially to to win. And that's uh, that's something, you know, their track record's proven, and I think that would happen. They'll deal with the uh, – and they also proven that they'll, you know, they'll deal with it after the fact if there is a chance uh, for the, for this team to make the playoffs. So I feel pretty good that if, if July rolls around and we have, we're in contention, the Rangers have a chance to make the playoffs and, they, you know, even better, have a chance to win the World Series and – I could easily see us bringing on a piece like a Cole Hamels. That's that's kind of been my feeling too. I I really feel like a lot has been made out of the Rangers not spending any in, uh, during this off season, and I really feel like um, spending money on a guy like Cole Hamels right now, before we, re- we really see what this roster is capable of playing together, um, that's I think that'd be kind of irresponsible. I think that's one more piece that you might potentially you know be looking at flipping again uh, in the, in the case that this thing doesn't work out. So um, I've really just got kind of one more question, unless there's something else that you guys want to cover. And that is um, let's fast forward to September 1st. If I tell you that Joey Gallo is, is getting major league at bats, mm-hmm. does that say more about where the Rangers are in September or where Gallo is in September? I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think that, I think if, Joey Gallo is getting at bats in September. That's really good for the Rangers. Um, I th- and, and regardless of how the Rangers are doing in their season, the the kid has pop. The kid has immense power. It's 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 Ruthian. But the strikeouts are just. I, I I'll believe it when I see it. I I don't think a guy that strikes out as much as he does is going to see a big league. Going to be seen in a big league lineup this year. I think if he progresses and makes another step this this season and, you know, in, in increasing his on-base percentage or in, de- decreasing his strikeout percentages, um, I think it's there. But I just – I am so fearful of the high strikeout rate. Now, obviously, he's going to have a role someday in a big league lineup. I mean, the Adam Duns of the world stick around for years and years because of the power. Um, but I, I just think this early, it would mean either he had a fantastic summer and he's ready, um, and that would be the only way I could see him in the lineup. Yeah, I'm with Jeff. If uh, if Joey Gallo's getting at bats before the September call-ups, then something has gone wrong in Texas. So okay, so you're saying that if it's after September, you think we're probably in good shape. If he's up there before, that's because we've probably had massive injury type situation. Yeah, or like Jeff said, you know, Joey is just gone completely nuts in Round Rock. But, yeah, and and with, with his strikeout rate, like Jeff said, I just don't see it now. Now this kid has has improved every step along the way, and I and I think he'll improve again. But you know, when you have a thirty three percent strikeout rate or whatever it was in Hickory, there's a lot of work to be done there, and he's not going to get that down to ten, you know, in one year. So, right, I, you know, I'll agree with you there. I I think maybe what I'm impressed with most with him 
um, besides obviously the Herculean power, is his approach, at least from what he tells the media. Um, he really seems like a guy that I feel pretty confident is going to figure it out at some point. I don't know if it'll be this year. Um, I, I feel like at some point, though, maybe not a 10% strikeout rate, but he's going to work it down to where, like Jeff said, he's going to be in a big league lineup at some point. I just, I, I think that um, he understands the challenges ahead, but um, yeah, I, I really don't know when to expect him or, uh, or even really what position I think that he'll play once he, once he gets here. But uh, really that's, that's kind of all I had in terms of topics. Did you guys have anything else you kind of wanted to discuss? Uh, just one real quick thing when, you know, when we're talking about 78 wins versus, you know, we all think it's going to be 80 to 88 or, or whatever it is, you know, let's, let's not count out what Jeff Bannister can do in the clubhouse. Um, you know, we're not in there every day. We don't get to see it, but I really think these guys are going to play hard for him and, and he's a motivator and I like his mentality publicly and I really believe that he was the right guy for the job. And so with a manager like that, like a Clint Hurdle type, that's always positive and, and behind his players, I, I think they might be a little bit better than we think they're going to be. Yeah. That may be the, one of the most important offseason acquisitions we haven't discussed. And I, as much as I love Ron Washington and I'll always be a Ron Washington guy, uh, Jeff Bannister's a perfect fit for this team. And anybody that knows him or knows of him or knows people that knows him, he's the real deal. What you see is what you get. There is no, you know, that's not a media front for him. That's, uh, that's who he is. And his toughness and the, and the mental uh, fortitude, so to speak, that he displays and shows and lives, it just it all goes into that whole grind mentality. And, and this team will be better for it. And that's, that's something I'm really excited about. What, what I've been most impressed with, with Jeff Bannister, at least so far, um, has been exactly that, that grind mentality. And then you combine that with, you know, he's a guy that uh, when he was asked, hey, what, what's your lineup going to look like? Who's leading off? And his answer was, well, who's starting that day? Who are we facing? You know, what, what, what starter do we need to beat that day? Um, I love that answer. You know, I love the fact that he's coming in and he's flexible. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he's, he's a proponent of the shift. Um, he's a guy that I feel like combines that old school mentality with, you know, some of the newer trends in the game that, you know, he, 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 he understands what the front office wants and, and, and some of the analytical type um, uh, strategies that they, that they may be pushing but he maintains that credibility on the field with, with his play, you know, with his playing career, with his background, with his attitude, um, with his values. I, I, I feel like he is the, the perfect fit for this team. And if you were going to replace Ron Washington, you know, this, this could be the biggest offseason move that they've made. So, um, well, guys, if, if you guys don't have anything else to cover, uh, this has been fun. It's the first episode of the Setup Men, and uh, I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Me too. Absolutely. Been